Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy, and you're listening to Revived Thoughts. This is a special episode of Revived Thoughts, a little bit different than the ones that we normally do. This is not a revived conversation, and this is not a sermon episode. This is an interview we are doing. There are lots of different podcasts that do interviews. Interviews are very popular, and we have particularly gone out of our way not to bring interviews uh, too much onto our show unless they make sense. However, we wanted to start bringing some interviews to you from people who we thought that they had something interesting to show us from history itself. Everyone that we will have on will have some perspective, uh, something that they can bring to you from a historical perspective, something, some reason why, some story from history that they are going to be sharing with you or some concept that they're going to be giving us more detail on. And that will kind of match what we're doing here at Revive Thoughts and across Revive Studios of bringing good history to you. Now, normally we will try not to put these on the Thursday episodes because we want to save those for either the revived conversations between Joel and myself or the sermons that we are doing. But this episode was really special. It's one of our first ones. And I think that the story you are going to listen to, the the things that you're going to hear Joel Berry discuss are absolutely incredible. It is an almost completely unknown or untold story, and I think people will get a whole lot from it. Uh, And so we wanted to share this episode with you today. I hope you enjoy listening to it and hope that it is a story that encourages you and also gives you courage in the day we live. Today, I'm very excited about the guest we have on. We have Joel Berry on. Now, Joel Berry, he's he's the managing editor at the Babylon Bee right now, and yeah, I'm telling you, he's got a very interesting subject from church history. I really want him to share with you here in a few minutes. Um, so you might not, you might be listening, and going, "Wait, why this gentleman?" We, you know, we're going to have some laughs. Uh, we may, but the main goal, the history we're going to go through, is going to be, I promise you, extremely interesting and extremely encouraging, but but also a little sad here in a few minutes. But first, Joel, very very excited to have you on. Can you introduce yourself and? Uh, tell us what you have going on right now. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I, uh, yeah, like you said, I'm the managing editor uh, of the Babylon Bee. Been doing that for about two years, and and you and I actually connected before all that. So um, 
when when you and I first connected, I was uh, I was doing uh, sales, uh, supply chain logistics uh, sales in the Midwest. A very different career path, uh, but I had a podcast on the side. I, I found your podcast and really loved it, and and you started listening to mine. So we kind of connected there. But uh, you know, the last two years have been kind of a whirlwind. Obviously, the Babylon Bee is uh, growing uh, quite a lot. Uh, that keeps me pretty busy. Um, last year we, uh, we released a book called the Babylon Bee guide to wokeness. And then, uh, this year, uh, me and the editor in chief, Kyle Mann, uh, released a, a novel called the postmodern pilgrim's progress, which is kind of a modern, uh, comedic retelling of, of pilgrim's progress. And, um, and so that's kept us pretty busy with, you know, the, the publicity and everything for that. Um, and so, and yeah, and I guess on the side, I, I, I do kind of have this, <clears throat> When I when I get a spare second, uh, I, I love to dig into to some of this this church history stuff and and um, this subject especially I think was was very when I, I I fell into just kind of a rabbit hole for for days when I first discovered uh, some of these things and, and what was so. <laughs> I- Man, I can relate to the rabbit hole for days. I have, when it came to Joan of Arc or the story of Ethiopia, I got lost for so long. You start to, you can't like see up or down. You're like, maybe they, maybe there were ghosts. At at some point, you just kind of lose yourself trying to figure out all the pieces. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, exactly. And and I, th- this was again, this is a little over two years ago when I I researched this, and this was when you know America was kind of in the middle of this big racial upheaval with, you know, with like BLM and the George Floyd protests and, and, and what a lot of this history touches on is the, the history of, of science and the role that it played in, in racism in the 19th and 20th centuries and, um, understanding this and, and how the church, um, really, uh, rose up against this, you know, this pseudoscientific movement. Um, it, it really, helps you to understand, uh, to better understand why we're, why we are where we are today. Um, and, uh, I, I wish more people knew about this history. Um, because I, I think that it would, it would really go far towards, uh, you know, helping to kind of, um, quell a lot of the confusion and, and the tension that we see in our society today. I, I want to encourage, so what he, where Joel is talking about is he has an episode on social Darwinism, and I'll let him kind of explain and define and talk through those terms, but I want to highly encourage you, if you are listening, if you're looking, maybe you know some people who they don't want to give God a chance, maybe they'll tell you, I think God is, uh, people who follow God are racist, or those kinds of things. This is a very good story to explain that they have church they have church history and history almost completely upside down i use this specific uh story and some of the details that he's going to walk through with us just in a minute here uh to talk to my kids in different countries who maybe don't know america's story very well so they just kind of heard what's on the news and they assume that's true and when i walked through it with them and showed them how the worldview they have is actually almost completely backwards and how, in fact, it was very much the Christians who were encouraging people to look at things the right way. It really had a very profound effect on them. And I, we did an episode not that long ago called All the C- Good Christians Do, where we talk about how much the church has done through history that is just completely forgotten. And this is another one of those subjects where it has just truly been kind of laid to the side that it was the Christians who spearheaded uh, the end of this really horrible time in human history. Uh, but Joe, I'm going to hit it over to you. We're talking about social Darwinism. How did it get started? And 
And and for people, some people know a little bit about social Darwinism because of evolution, but what are some of those specific details, I think, that uh, that really kind of flesh out the story on a human level? Yeah, well, I, I think it. I think it's important to uh, to kind of go back to even before Darwin. I, I think it's it, Darwin really uh, kicked a lot of the this philosophy and into gear with his theory and the origin of species and the descent of man. Um, but the the thinking around social Darwinism actually predated him um, in, in a philosophy called uh, polygyny. So, you know, what was happening in the 18th and 19th century was, you know, uh, Europe was colonizing the world. You know, we were colonizing Africa and Australia. And we were running into all these indigenous people, um, these uncontacted tribes. Um, and uh, a lot of the thinkers at the time uh, came up with this idea called polygyny, which is basically, you know, polygenism, the idea that um, we are, that that mankind can't all be descended from a single uh you know, from a single couple, two parents, Adam and Eve, they, they ran into these tribes and they thought, well, look, they're so different from us. Um, there's no way these people are related to Adam and Eve. They must be, they must have different origins, uh, somewhere else. And, and we don't know what that is, but, um, you know, if they're not related to Adam and Eve, then they're not, they, they don't count as human. There's something in between, you know, animal and, and man. And, and, and so, you know, thinkers like Voltaire and, and David Hume, um, you know, really went a long way to propagate this theory that, that, you know, a lot of these, these people that we, we were running into, uh, no, these, these, these aren't descended from Adam and Eve. These are something else. Um, but then Darwin came on the scene, right? So Darwin in, in 1859, he, he published his book, The Origin of Species. And, um, and like that really just, <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's, you can't, it's hard to really, uh, describe, what uh, Darwin did to the entire world. I mean, he, it really turned the world upside down. When his theory came out, I mean, suddenly, um, I mean, overnight, um, it became kind of the adopted scientific position. And, and it had so many profound ethical implications. You know, you, we've, we've lived our whole lives assuming that we are created by God. There is a moral order to the universe. There is a, a purpose behind all this. And suddenly, no, we're not anymore. We are alone. Um, we are descended from the ape, and um, it is up to us to save ourselves. You know, there's no salvation coming from anywhere else. Um, you know, there is no, you know, objective moral order. Uh, we can create our own moral order now. And um, if mankind is to survive, we have to make sure that we're, um, you know, uh, selectively breeding for, you know, uh, you know, resistance to disease and, and, uh, strength and fitness and things like that. And that's where eugenics came in. So, so Darwin published this, um, w- one thing I, sh- I should also mention too, with, with polygyny, um, in the 18th and 19th century, um, I mean, it, the church was, uh, deeply opposed to polygyny. It was, I mean, the Catholic church counted it as a heresy, um, Christians, uh, you know, Christians opposed polygyny and, and not with any really kind of scientific backing. All they had was the scripture. They had, they had what, what the Bible told Mm -hmm. them. Um, and, and I think Christians are often in that position today. You know, we sometimes are, are up against some of the, the greatest, uh, scientific minds of of our age, people who are a lot smarter than us, people who have a lot of, uh, you know, degrees, um, 
And all we have is, is our simple understanding of the scriptures that says, no, some of these things aren't so. And, and it can make us look like simpletons sometimes, but, but we're not alone. I think we, we share that, uh, that position with, with many great Christians of the past. And, and so from the very beginning, you know, Christianity was vehemently opposed to polygenism. You know, Will, William Wilberforce was a, a, a huge example of this, you know, a devout Methodist, uh, in England, he was instrumental in ending the, the slave trade, um, you know, and and uh, also reforming the the moral culture of of Great Britain at the time. Um, and, well, but anyway, so that I was going to stop you right here. I think that that yeah. point right there, um, where you just said that the Christian is up against the scientific minds of their day, which is kind of a theme in this story that I really, yeah. uh, really, it really stuck with me when I listened to it. Was right as. Uh, the COVID-19 stuff was just beginning, uh, but you also had during that same time, uh, we, we really see in America, especially kind of the turning up of this idea that, you know, a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the scientific, you know, the great minds of society are saying, this is the way it is. There's, you, there's no need to question any of it. And the Christians are over here, you know, getting maligned by holding to not only the traditional historical view of, you know, these things aren't so, but also, but just kind of saying, like, I, I don't think that's how this whole thing works. And it was just really interesting listening to your episode and seeing seeing just how much we have gone through, you know, this same cycle very similarly before. It was a different issue. Mm-hmm. It was the idea that a human is lesser. But still, this idea, these fundamental ideas of reality, this is not the first time the Christians mm-hmm. have been up against the scientific world as it were, in society to say, but still holding to that same basic truth. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've heard Christians, uh, you know, from, you know, the kind of the, the gender theory community, I've, I've heard Christians called dinosaurs. And I, I would imagine that Christians were call, also called dinosaurs by the, the eugenics and the, the, the social Darwinism community. I mean, it's, it, the, the thing about this was, I mean, it, it was the, I mean, worldwide, it was the prevailing scientific consensus. Uh, I mean, it, scientists were in full agreement about not only Darwinism, but the implications of Darwinism, you know, meaning eugenics and, and self-directed human evolution. So, um, yeah, going back to Darwin, uh, you know, in, um, you know, sh- shortly after the, you know, about a decade after the Emancipation Proclamation, you know, the slaves are, are, are freed in, in America. Uh, Darwin wrote uh, his second book, The Descent of Man. And that's when he kind of first proposed uh, this eugenics idea. So, uh, you know, he said that, um, you know, it's, it's really damaging to the human race to allow the weakest of us to, you know, uh, reproduce. And he said, I, I, I don't like the implications of that myself. You know, I don't think Darwin would have ever proposed what, you know, say Hitler did later. But he did say, I think that we should maybe consider restricting marriage. And that's that's when we first started to, to get the, you know, the the bans on interracial marriage and things like that. He said that I I, I hope that maybe we can get to a point where, um, you know, the, the weakest or the feeble minded or the less evolved will will not be allowed to marry. Um, as readily as as the, the strong and the sound, and so um, what a lot of people don't realize is that Darwin's own son Leonard Darwin and Darwin's cousin Francis Galton were the founders of the eugenics movement. Um, so they they started it in in England. Um, it moved over to the United States. Uh, the the American Eugenics Society was founded, um, and 
um, you know, we, we, we know some of the members that, you know, uh, Margaret Sanger was a member of the American Eugenics Society. Uh, uh, Guttmacher was a member of the Eugenics Society. And, and one of the most notable members of, of the American Eugenics Society was a guy named um, uh, Madison Grant. So Madison Grant was uh, a le- the leader of the uh, Zoological Society. He was the chair of the Museum of uh, Natural History in New York. And um, he also wrote a book called The Passing of the Great Race, which was kind of like the the magnum opus or the, the you know, the big, uh, you know, scientific work uh, for eugenics. Um, and Hitler later read this book, The Passing of the Great Race. He wrote a, a letter to Madison Grant thanking him for his book. And, and Hitler himself said that this book became his Bible. Um, and, and you have to remember, too, that that. Uh, this is before we had an understanding of genetics, you know, and, and DNA. We know now, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how as science advances, you end up, the Bible is vindicated every time. Um, and, you know, as science advanced and we learned more about genetics, we, you know, science now points towards common origin, um, back to where we started with Adam and Eve. And so, um, uh, but they didn't know this at the time. And that's where you get all this, this pseudoscientific stuff like, you know, measuring skulls and facial, facial features and things like that to, you know, to determine the, you know, the level of evolutionary development of, of a human being. But Madison Grant, um, he, uh, in, in 1904, there was a, uh, there was a world fair. It was held in St. Louis and, and they had an exhibit there called the Parade of Human Evolutionary Progress. And, and it was essentially a human zoo. And what they did was they, they brought over, uh, different people from African tribes, uh, pygmies and, and Aborigines from Australia. And they displayed them in the zoo. They built these, like these realistic looking little villages and huts and caves and things. And people could come through and they could watch. And, and these folks were presented as we have found the missing leap link between, uh, man and ape. These, that's what, that's what these people were, were, you know, supposed to be. And, um, uh, it, they were kept in horrible conditions. Um, if, if these and the World Fair had an agreement with the um, with the Natural History Museum that if people died in the exhibit, their bodies would be sent to the the History Museum to be for their skulls to be measured and for them to be dissected and things like that. And um, one one particular uh, individual who was held in this zoo, he was a young boy, a pygmy boy named Otabanga. Um, he survived uh, the the World Fair, and he was shipped to uh, the the Natural History Museum um, and put in, in an exhibit in the Natural History Museum. Um, and the name of the exhibit was the Missing Link. And he was put in a cage with chimpanzees. And this exhibit um, became so popular in in the first few weeks of of uh, the opening of the exhibit. It attracted over a quarter million people uh-huh. um, at this exhibit. Um, and, and I mean, famous, I mean, Teddy Roosevelt, <laughs> well, I mean, people that we, we all revere in history that, you know, it, it, it's, it can't be overstated just how pervasive this theory was and how mainstream, you know, normal people really thought that this was, you know, they, they believed the science, you know, this is what the science says and what you can't argue with the science. Right. So, um, the thing that I, that I found most interesting about this, this chapter in, in, in history one is that it's it's never talked about. It's not talked in school, taught in schools. And maybe we can talk no, a little bit later that, about why. That was actually, yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on why. Because, I mean, we hear about the, the racist things of America's past constantly. Yeah. Yet, 
I would guarantee you there are listeners right now, and maybe some we have some international listeners who don't know, but yeah. certainly I, there are listeners who heard the word eugenics and that, that didn't really bring up any thoughts to them. And that mm-hmm. this, this idea right here, this, that to me, when I heard this story, I was just shocked. I love history. I study history all the time. I had never heard of this horrific like tragedy until listening to mm-hmm. your podcast. And it was literally shocking to me. And, and when I repeat it to students, I go, do you want to know why one of the reasons why evolution fails? They were looking for a missing link. This was who they thought the missing link was. And it is yeah. just the, the, the looks on their faces every time. It's just, yeah. it is shocking and appalling that we all just went along with this. We did. And it, what's, what's crazy is that there have been efforts to incorporate this into school curriculum. So a, a few notable examples, uh, one happened in 2001, um, a, a woman named Sharon Weston uh, Boone. She's the mayor of Baton Rouge now, uh, but she used to be a member of the uh, Louisiana House of Representatives. And she attempted to um, add this to the school curriculum. Uh, you know, basically the history of scientific racism, uh, starting with Darwin um, and, and the effects that it had, um, you know, on culture and into the Jim Crow laws. We can talk a little bit about that later, but um, a, a huge uh, uh lobby effort from the atheist community ended up uh, shooting this down. And the way they sold it was like, this is an effort to try to discredit Darwin and get creationism into the schools. That's, that's the way they sold it. That, that if, if, if we discredit Darwin by showing people some of the implications of, of his theory, um, you know, people aren't going to want to believe in evolution. And that's, it's, it's, this is a secret way for Christians to try to get their, you know, their, their worldview into schools. And so it was shot down. Actually, the the resolution was adopted, but only after uh, lawmakers deleted all, all mentions of Darwin uh, from the curriculum or, or, or scientific racism from the curriculum. Um, Another example was Kansas. Uh, uh, Yeah. I think in 2007, they tried to add this to the curriculum again, uh, only, only adopted after, any references to Darwin, uh, human zoos, scientific racism were deleted um, because they don't want to discredit Darwin because that's like uh, Darwin still um, is kind of the, I mean, just like Freud, Darwin and Freud have been both been kind of discredited, mm-hmm. but they're still kind of the foundational, uh, you know, uh, ethics of our, of our time. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there have been efforts to add it and it's, it's amazing. Even in this, this, this culture, this, this climate that we're in now where, you know, we have to teach history, we have to understand our history of racism. This still isn't being taught. And, and I think, I think one of the big reasons I think it's not is the, um, when you start to look at this history is you realize this, this noble history that the, the Christian church has in, in opposing this. So, um, for example, this, this, uh, this exhibit, uh, this missing link exhibit at the uh, Natural History History Museum, when it opened up, um, the entire clergy in New York uh, forcefully uh, opposed it. Um, a, a Baptist minister uh, named uh, Robert Stuart MacArthur uh, led a massive protest against this um, this uh, this exhibit, and he even worked with a uh, an, an orphanage director, a Christian orphanage, uh, and his name, the guy's name was James H. Gordon, and basically said, you know, this is a human being, um, this is not a missing link. You know, it, he gave a speech that sounds a lot like something, you know, like Franklin Graham or or you know a, a 
yeah. would, would give today, basically saying, this is a Christian nation. America is a Christian nation, and uh, Darwinianism is opposed to Christianity. We are not related to apes, and uh, th- this should not be taught in our schools, and it is dehumanizing, and, and you need to release this boy at once. And, and I even have a, an orphanage director here who will take this boy and raise him and, and educate him. Um, and, uh, and Madison Grant, uh, scoffed at it. I mean, he, he, he wrote a, I think an op-ed in the New York times, uh, you know, writing this Baptist minister off as a, you know, as a, as a quack and a fraud and, and, uh, you know, he doesn't understand the science, (laughs) you know, and, um, I just think it's funny, you know, I I mean, this Baptist minister, he didn't have a degree in, in biology Mm -hmm. or, or anthropology. All he had was the word of God. And what the word of God says. And, uh, you know, shoot, a hundred years later, we, we know better now, don't we? Um, yeah. and, uh, and so I think, I think that's one reason there, there is this effort, especially from the atheist community to, to suppress this history is because it really makes them look bad. It makes them look bad. It looks, makes a scientism look bad. And it, it does kind of, um, tarnish this narrative that Christians have always kind of been the, like the, the backwards, uh, you know, regressive, uh, rubes of, of history. Um, you know, in this case, Christianity, uh, they, we were, they were the progressive ones. They were the ones that were, were fighting for human rights in the face of, of, uh, scientific consensus. Yeah, that that's the part that of the story, and it's not that the Christians always have gotten it right, and the scientists have always gotten it wrong, but the just how listening to this story, listening to the Christians fighting back and pushing against eugenics, just in this one example, you can see how I mean it just kind of flips the 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 the, the mainstream worldview, like because the entire world to a degree subscribes to this idea that the scientists have just been, uh, you know unbiasedly researching all this time and the Christians are pushing this agenda. I feel like that I live in Asia currently. I've seen it in many parts of Asia. I think it's clearly a part of the West now, Mm -hmm. this idea that the scientists are just doing the best they can. And it's the religious people with the bias. Yet you have to have a bias to put a human being in the zoo and say he's an animal Mm -hmm. and then ignore and scoff and mock the Christians who are telling you that you are wrong. And I think that it, it really, I think that really does damage to this, this, mm. no, the, you know, if it, you see the nobility of Christians and it, you see the lack of nobility mm. in scientific history. And I think you had other examples as well of just kind of that lack of nobility, um, you know, referring to the Jim Crow and other things. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it obviously we, we know it got a lot worse, uh, you know, based on what Hitler ended up doing because he was an insane person and, and insane people always take their, their philosophies to their horrible logical conclusions. Um, but, but what I thought was most interesting was the Jim Crow laws. So I, I uh, put out a Twitter poll to my followers recently, not recently, maybe a year ago or so, um, just asking, um, do you know why, uh, Jim Crow laws, uh, you know, against, uh, integration and, and interracial marriage, do you know why they were put in place in, in America? Can anyone explain it to me? And, you know, s- Many people responded, not a single person could tell me why Jim Crow laws were implemented. I mean, general things like, well, you know, the South was racist, uh, you know, 
the South was bitter about slavery being ended. Um, you know, even like, you know, it was Christians who thought segregation should be put in place. But none of those are true. I mean, this was shocking to me. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I Jim Crow laws were put in place um, based on um, what the scientists were telling these lawmakers had to be done. So, I mean, w- we were we were in a place where the scientific minds were telling us that people of African descent were several hundred thousand years behind white Europeans in human evolution. And so if you were to uh, mix, mix or integrate or, or intermarry with people of African descent, you're essentially, you're, you're dooming your kids to, you're, you're rewinding the, your, your own descendants several hundred thousand years in evolution. And we can't have that, right? Um, but, you know, all these people live here, you know, we can't, you know, send them out of the country. So, so what do we do? We have to make sure that these people remain separate so that they, so that we don't pollute the gene pool. And, and that is why Jim Crow laws were, were established. It was, these were the result of what the, the scientific consensus was telling people had to be done. And the, the American Eugenics Society was, they didn't want to stop there. So they, they wanted to create a, like a national, uh, you know, at the federal level, a, a national eugenics program that would basically um, require uh, individuals to apply with the state to get married. And, and they, were, they, they were collecting genetic information in public schools all across the country. And these were being sent to uh, their main offices in Michigan. And their plan was that when they could get this legislation enacted, they would then use all this genetic information harvested from public school kids to say, okay, you can marry this person, but you can't marry that person. You had to apply to be married. Um, and, and this was all meant, and this was seen as, as one of the greatest movements for human betterment. I mean, these people thought they were the good, good you know, the, the U, the, you know, EU prefix in eugenics means good, you know, like they thought they were making mankind better. And, and, uh, and so um, this is why we had this strict segregationary policy in, in the United States. We were trying to follow the science. You know, we didn't want to go backwards in evolution. And, and um, I, I was shocked to find that out. I mean, and, and everyone yeah. I've told has been shocked. to. <laughs> to, to I mean, if to you're listening that. and you didn't know that, I mean, it, I, I did not know that until I listened to your episode on it. And it, it literally... It is the exact opposite of what we've all been told, right? Mm. We're all told, you know, if we're not careful, a theocracy will return us back to those days. And this is, you're literally telling the story, no, the only reason we got to those days in the first place was because scientists came up with a completely wildly evil idea and everyone went along with it. I, again, it blows my mind. Hearing, even hearing it again, it's just like, we got it so backwards. They have so, somehow they got, they did it at that time. And then they somehow managed to completely flip our memories on how we remember it, which is truly amazing. One thing that did kind of encourage me though, is hearing that I'm like, wow, if they were once harvesting like the DNA of public school children and all this stuff, I, we, you know, people who believe America's in our darkest time, we have been through some tough times before. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. Um, you know, and I see a lot of that kind of stuff going, going on with the, the, like the, the gender ideology movement now. I mean, they, um, 
it always seems to target kids, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, because they're the most impressionable, and and you have to start them with a young age at, in teaching these philosophies. Um, but yeah, they 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 connect. They collected uh, you know racial genetic information on these kids. They they sterilized over sixty thousand people. That's another chapter in human history that American history that's not really talked about is all the sterilization that took place forcibly against people's will. You know, people that we didn't want to reproduce. Um, were sterilized as a part of this big eugenics movement, and um, yeah, it's it's awful. And then and then so you know Hitler obviously he read uh, Madison Grant's book, he applied it uh, in in Germany, and initially um, he was he was praised uh, by scientists in America. Um, and uh, in my episode, I won't get into it, but I read some letters that were written to Hitler by prominent scientists, uh, people who were a part of the predecessor to Planned Parenthood. Um, people are part of the eugenic society um, saying, hey, this is like what you're doing is is amazing. You're going to you're going to make humankind better. Um, you're going to take us into the next century. And, and we hope that we can hopefully implement what you're doing in Germany. We hope we can reproduce that here in America. Um, and uh, I, I think the only the only reason it didn't end up happening in America was because of how insane Hitler was and, and it just how. Um, you know, horribly he took it to its its logical conclusion. So I, I think it kind of shook the world um, out of that uh, out of that progression that we were in. If it weren't for Hitler, I I really do think that America probably would have followed uh, along those lines. Um, you know, the only kind of caveat there is is the strong Christian presence in in America may have stopped that as well. Well, and I would say if you look at Planned Parenthood to some degree, what they started, you know, because Planned Parenthood's direct link through Margaret Sanger, it was almost in some ways more successful in America. Hmm. If you look at the past 50 or 60 years and how many people, you know, were never born because of Planned Parenthood, which was, and you you talked about that as well, just how that's integrated with the eugenics movement of the desire to get rid of people that were seen as less favorable. Yes. In some ways, Hitler could have only dreamed of such of an idea as that. Well, it's true. And and that's, I mean, the, the eugenicists themselves said that when Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. So one thing that I th- thought was pretty interesting was that the, the American Eugenics Society after World War II continued. Um, you know, there were even some Nazi doctors who ins- experimented on people uh, in, the, in the death camps who came to America and were card-carrying members of the of the American Eugenics Society, along with Margaret Sanger, Guttmacher, some of these other folks. And um, they they were a part of the lobby to legalize abortion um, in the 60s and 70s um, as a part of the sexual revolution. And, and when Roe v. Wade was decided, so Roe v. Wade was decided, some of the, uh, the expert witnesses that were brought to testify uh, before the Supreme Court were either eugenicists or quoted heavily from eugenicists, um, in their, in their, uh, in their expert witness. And, um, when that decision was passed down, the, the leader of the, uh, the AES, um, said that this is a great victory for us and that, um, that abortion and birth control are going to achieve great eugenic effects, uh, without us having to use the word eugenics, um, or, or, or force it on anybody. And that's why you have all these Planned Parenthoods that are built in poor neighborhoods, uh, you know, heavily, um, heavily black neighborhoods. Um, and, um, 
at that that same year, uh, the the American Eugenics Society changed their name. They took eugenics out of it, and that's now called the Society for the Study of uh, Social Biology, and it's still there to this day. You can you can look. They have a website and everything. Um, but uh, they I, one thing that that is going to be interesting, I think, in the 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 wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned is I, I wonder if some of these, uh, eugenic conversations are going to start coming back. If these scientists are going to start mm-hmm. ripping the masks off a little bit and, and talking about eugenics more honestly, um, because they, they've never changed. I mean, they, they've always had the mm-hmm. same mission. Um, you know, even, you know, prominent popular thinkers, atheists like Richard Dawkins have, have, have essentially said, um, eugenics works like, like eugenics would work if we wanted to make human, human beings better and, and, and ensure our survival into the future, you know, eugenics would work to do that. I don't know how to do that ethically, but you know, mm-hmm. it would work. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's still, I, it's still there. I think it's still there kind of under the surface. And, and, and yeah. I think more people need to know this and need to know the history because I think it is going to rear its head again. Well, and even if someone's listening to that and going, oh, I, you know, because that sounds like it could be, you know, vaguely conspiracy theorists to say that this didn't go away. I, I, it's still very alive and well in China today where they do believe that the race of, I believe it's the Han people is meant to be the people who rule China and they are quietly decimating and eliminating the races of other people. So even if you don't like the idea that it still exists in the West, it still very much exists in parts of the Eastern world. It has not gone away, and I think the fact one of the re- one of the biggest reasons it hasn't gone away is we don't talk about it, we don't know the history of it, and we don't understand it when we see it. And so, because of those things, we don't know how to recognize it and recognize that it still is honestly has quite a powerful sway. Again, even if you don't like the idea that it might still be somewhere scattered in parts of the West, mm-hmm. it is definitely an important part of work that is happening there. If I can have you, uh, do you have any final thoughts kind of on this dark subject? Again, you know, if you were clicking on this episode and you're like, the Babylon Bee, I, I need a good laugh from church so history. Laughs. This definitely <laughs> definitely did not go in the direction you might. I, if this was your, I need to pick me up, it's been a long week. I really apologize. This probably wasn't that episode for you. But is there any final kind of closing thoughts from your thought, from your, your looking at mm. in the past couple of years? Yeah, I think... Um, I think for me, the encouraging thought um, is to look at all this and to look at how um, brilliant thinkers and brilliant scientists have failed so miserably in the past and, and, and to reflect on how the word of God just still continues to stand through all of this. Um, you know, we, we have, we eventually discovered DNA genetics, we, we, you know, which now point to a, a single origin for the human species. And, and I think, I, I hope that anyone who listens to this can be encouraged that you know, you don't necessarily have to be a, a scientific thinker. You don't have to be able to cite a bunch of studies. Um, the word of God really, I mean, the, the word of God is the truth. It gives us what we need. We know from God's word that mankind is made in, in the image of God and we have inherent worth and dignity. We know that we are descended from um, from two parents, Adam and Eve. And um, in spite of all the attacks that have come from from different movements, ethical and scientific movements over the centuries, um, that truth has has continued to stand. It is still uh, immovable and, and unshaking. And and I, I think for for the average Christian, I think that's that's really comforting. We can know that um, 
God's word is true. It is enough. Um, and it is very powerful. It is a sword. It is a sword against the powers, the rulers of this age, the, the, the philosophies that set themselves up against the truth of, of God. Um, and, and we can, we can have confidence in that it, even while we're being called dinosaurs and, you know, throwbacks <laughs> and regressives and, and hateful bigots or whatever, whatever the thing is that they, they call us now, um, the word of God is true. And, and to speak the truth is, is not hate. It is love. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I think we can have confidence in yeah. that. And if there's something I kind of feel that I just always pull from this is that, there were people who sat there and fight. You know, you mentioned some of their names. What was it? I believe one of them was Robert, uh, the, the Baptist minister, and another yeah, Robert one. Robert Stuart the, MacArthur. Yeah, there were people who, uh, let's James be honest, most of yeah. us, there we go, most of us have forgotten them. God saw their work. God probably saw their work of getting mm. maligned, and yet think of, you know, the people who were alive at that time who went through it. Those were the people who were the lights that they could kind of turn to. Those were the people who... Uh, others could see and say, hey, you're not calling us these things. You're not saying we're missing links. You see the humanity uh, that we actually have. That is what we Christians are called to do. Even if you feel you you may not be remembered, you may not be famous, that your main name may not go down. You may just be something that some one person does a big research bender on and finds your name out there somewhere. And yet that's okay because the Lord remembers, the Lord sees, and he, he is keeping track of what his... Uh, saints are doing all throughout history, and you will be remembered in heaven for that work you did. And you will be remembered if you decide not to do the work and to let it go by the wayside. Uh, Joel, do you have any final kind of closing thoughts, or maybe kind of stepping away from the darker subject of just uh, church history or anything from, you know, the Babylon, be anything you want to give us as we kind of wrap <laughs> yeah. up? Yeah, I guess. Well, it's it's funny. I guess maybe to tie this back to the Babylon Bee is is um, uh, this knowledge of history and the perspective that that it gives us um, it, it is really what enables uh, what we do at at the B. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is um, w- when you look, you know, back into history and you see how God has worked, um, and you see the way God has used people and, and the way He continues to build His church, um, you know in spite of our own weaknesses and our, our own failures, um, and the attacks of the world, um, you, you do get some perspective. Um, and I think right, especially right now, there's so much to wring our hands about. There's so much to worry about, you know, with the way the culture is going. Um, but it's, it's good to remember that, uh, you know, God has promised us a couple things. He's promised that he will build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, and he, and he has told us who wins in the end. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, regardless of how things work out for us in the short term, we know how this, this, uh, ends term. And, um, you know, with that long-term perspective, I think it, that's what allows us at the Babylon Bee to kind of relax and laugh a little bit. Uh, we're not wringing our hands so much. We, we can kind of laugh at the corruption or the silliness or the, or the bad ideas, bad philosophies, um, even even while they're doing damage and, and we need to fight that, um, I think there is some laughter is warranted and and, I, and and some some peace in our hearts, I think, is is appropriate, um, knowing that uh, that the, it, it's all going to be OK. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and all all that God expects of us is to be faithful. I love what you said, you know, to, to serve whether we're remembered or not, uh, you know, on earth. Um, we are remembered uh, in heaven as we serve the Lord, and and uh, and that's you know what 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 more 
is there? I mean, what, what more would you want besides that? Amen. Thank you so much, Joel, for coming on. Love what you guys do at the Babylon Bee. You always make me laugh with your amazing headlines. I know you hear that all the time, but hey, I, I feel like I can say <laughs> long-term fan here. I, I've, been, I've been following from you guys from very early on, so I really appreciate you taking time Thank out you. of your very busy uh, schedule to come on and talk with us about this subject. I think if you are listening right now, please share this one. Tell people about this episode. If they're not, oh, I don't listen to church history, get them to listen to this one because I really think that the story that Joel unpacked there is not only a great testament that of the witness of what Christians have done that we don't want to forget because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ and we want to get what they're doing out there remembered. But I also think it's so important because when you recognize that this all happened 150 years ago, I think it gives you much clearer vision for what you see around you today to realize this can all very well and very easily be happening again. Thank you so much, Joel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.